everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. We are continuing our data-driven sustainability conversation, and we've got two special guests today, uh, Becca Gillespie and Ryan Kelly. No, Ryan, I, I did the thing that I always do. I psyched myself out about the last name. Ryan, r remind everyone of your last name so I can just uh, be here in shame, please. It's Cahallan. Cahallan. Yeah, yeah. See, I said there were too many A's as, as I was preparing for this. Ryan Cahallan. Uh, we will not edit this out so you guys can go ahead and, and throw shade on me as, as we go. But Becca, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for, for joining us today, Becca and Ryan. Before we dive into the energy conversation, uh, could you give us a little bit of a background? Let's start with you, Ryan, if you don't mind. Tell us about how you got into the space, what it is that you are doing uh, today. Um, love it. The space meaning all things industrial or the energy space? I would love Sorry, from, but, you know, educational but, background and then how did you get into manufacturing, industrial, and uh, ultimately uh, sustainability and energy monitoring? Okay, so I'm, uh, I guess, a, a controls engineer by, by training, um, went to Purdue, uh, ended up with a, a master's at Case Western, uh, working for Goodyear, and uh, just been in and around plants for most of my life. I, I come from a, a Goodyear family. My dad worked at Goodyear for you know 38 years or 39 years or whatever it was. Um, I, my journey's been a little bit uh, meandering. I, I come at this, uh, this industrial automation, uh, uh, operational transformation space, um, having spent time as a consultant with um, Deloitte for a while, uh, did some systems integration both early in my career as well as uh, most recently in my career uh, with uh, FZ, who we ended up selling into the uh, the ATS Global. And, uh, and then uh, through that time also uh, was a in the product side with uh, Rockwell Automation, General Electric, uh, OSI Soft, a uh, startup early on, uh, active plant uh, that is still uh, in place at many of the automotive companies. So my my background's been pretty diverse and uh, come at things with the you know bringing that perspective in. I guess um, it, from a sustainability standpoint, it's just a a personal passion. Um, I'm. For the last three or four moves, we've had uh, solar on our house and you know geothermal and just kind of trying to reduce my footprint. I don't you know whether it's preparing for the apocalypse or you know ready for zombies or more more realistically, I'm just kind of cheap and I don't want to pay utility bills. Um, so it, it, you know I'm interested and I I want to uh, do my part and. Um, and it's fun from a kid's standpoint and otherwise to so um and, and i think the technologies are finally within reach that there really isn't a good argument not to start to go um down this journey uh, either individually or as a company 
So, um, and I guess, you know, I live outside of Cleveland uh, on the, uh, the east side. Uh, there's, you know, not about 20 minutes that way is, uh, is the city in civilization and the 20 minutes that way is the Amish people. So uh, it's kind of a fun place to live. Interesting. Interesting. I look, I certainly have a lot of questions for you, Ryan. I, I really appreciate you joining us today. I think it's going to be a great conversation. But uh, before I start asking you those, Becca, could you please introduce yourself uh, as well? Great. Thanks, Vlad. Thanks, Ryan. Um, so I, um, my name is Becca Gillespie. I am a uh, mechanical and aerospace engineering trained originally. I went to work at NASA at first, and it's a really great place to work, great engineers, great engineering, great frameworks, and excellent, um, just excellent people all around. Uh, NASA is a wonderful place to work. It didn't, the, the actual problems I felt I was solving didn't touch on what I felt was the problem of the generation, which is around sustainability. Um, and it felt like I was solving a problem of a, maybe of a previous generation. Uh, so that's what led me to get into the energy space. Um, so I first went to grad school, public policy and energy policy, and worked at FERC. And I worked in a startup at uh, Battery Energy Storage. And for those who don't know, that's sort of something that became, that we used to never have batteries on the grid. Then over the past 10 years, they kind of have become more and more popular and common on the grid. And it is a, it's a technology that's important for the integration of renewable energy in the long run. So it, it plays a, a partnering role uh, to bring renewables online. Um, and uh, there I actually got, had a, I wore multiple hats as one does in a startup. And there's where I also got my first taste of the industrial engineering. And I set up their OSI soft pie system and kind of da dashboards and analytics and um, tried to take people's brains and turn them into formulas to the extent possible there. Um, and uh, that was, after that, I moved to uh, the electric utility space and worked in the innovation department there. So that was Duquesne Light in Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, but then I recently joined Energy Systems Network, which is what brought me here today. Um, and we do all sorts of energy projects for the state of Indiana or related to the state of Indiana, but uh, it's expanding uh, across the nation. Um, and we, um, in particular, I started there in January. We've I've been working on the Energy Insights project there, which is um, an Industry 4.0 uh tool that helps people understand their energy use and make changes for the better. So that's the quick background. Awesome. And so I guess to paint a better picture of um, what it is that you do inside of Insight, so you walk or you work with manufacturers from A to Z, right? So you help them understand what their needs or challenges might be. Then you sort of set up a platform. Again, I'll ask you a few questions on that that allows them to monitor the data which is related to their energy usage and ultimately guide them through the steps necessary to execute projects that would reduce uh, their energy footprint. Could you maybe walk us through uh, what that looks like or what's the like general steps maybe of the process? Great. Yeah, thanks, Vlad. So we've been working with our MVP product, which is a technology stack that is a data pipeline bringing data all the way from the current transducers, that's the sensor, um, against the lar largest loads typically in a plant or facility 
um, and sometimes against the main meter. It's actually measuring the, the metered load at the at the uh, um, main feed, all the way data collection, massaging, piping it up to the cloud, all the way through to an analytics platform in the AWS cloud. So that has been our MVP. And from a technical perspective, you got it exactly right. It's a full data stack. It's uh, the energy monitoring and analysis in a box uh, that brings it from soup to nuts. Um, and that has been deployed in a few cases and we're starting to expand the program now and explore the possibilities for growing the program as well. From a programmatic perspective, we like to work with uh, integrators that help people bring, um, like you just said, find those use cases, find those nuts they need to crack from an energy and sustainability and and money savings often is the, is the driver, frankly, um, perspective um, and you know, help massage that in the analytics platform to bring to fruition and, and uh, give those insights that help them make decisions or changes um, that bring um, it to fruition. So those are, you know, to some degree still bespoke. Uh, one of the goals of the program is to be um, catering to the needs of small to medium manufacturers, which means that we are trying to some degree standardize not just the technology stack, but the ways in which the data is analyzed and looked at. Um, but I won't, I won't pretend that we have the magic elixir yet uh, where we can just like zap at your data and zoink out comes some energy insights. Um, so there still is some bit of a partnership between the companies and the integrators to, like you said, work through and figure out which nuts need to be cracked and, and what, what insights we can be gleaned from the, that data. But that's essentially it. Yes, you had it right. Awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Ryan, if I can ask you, I guess you come in both on the technical and as I understood operational side, you certainly have an extensive portfolio of experience. What, um, I guess, what is your part in the, in the process? So um, I, I first started working with Energy Insights as an integrator. Um, and when, after we had sold our business, um, you know, I've gone off, uh, we founded Axiom with, as a, uh, a, a group of us that are trying to bring transformation mostly to the mid-market and smaller manufacturers. And, um, but I had had the pleasure of working with the Energy Insights Program as one of the early uh, integrators, early adopters, um, trying to carry the this solution that they had developed into the marketplace. And um, it, I, I was fortunate enough to, to stay plugged in. And uh, as they were looking at it, you know, going from kind of an early uh, program to how do we scale it? How do we really take it and affect change in a much broader way? Um, I was asked to help advise and help um, provide the the insight from an integration standpoint, but also from a customer standpoint in terms of how how this um, solution and how this program and approach that they were using could be uh, broadened and could be extended in a way that that really um, you know, something that made a difference quickly. And so it's just been, I've been really fortunate in uh, my journey. And uh, I've recently been given the good fortune of working with Becca on the program and the team and, uh, and kind of get to tie this world that I've come from, which is industrial 
and my personal passion, which is sustainability, uh, into two of the same things. So, yeah, definitely appreciate that. I I think you know the comment I will make is that I think a lot of our listeners probably understand the positive impacts of these projects, but I want to ask you or spin that question in a different way. When you reach out to new customers, what are some of the pushbacks that you hear from them in order to get these projects going, right? Is it is it lack of personnel? Is it maybe misunderstanding of what the ROIs might be? Is it difficulty to implement on the technical side, operational side? I'm curious, you know, what you hear from customers that are maybe hesitant to uh, go forward with uh, implementing these solutions. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on, I'd say, two of the big ones. Only above. Yeah, which are that people lack the maybe the time to implement some of these solutions and then not understanding the ROI. Um, the time one is we just have to work and hope to find eventually someone who can make the time for this. Um, the ROI, part of the reason Energy Insights is grant funded and is a grant program at this point is because we know that that story is hard to tell sometimes and we know they don't, they need they need a little uh, a win, maybe before they make a big investment. And so that grant and pilot program is meant to provide that win to help them make future investments. And the, the platform, I should say, is kind of over-engineered. So even though it does take these uh, current transducers and measure them and off you go, there's extra space for them to kind of, this can be their stepping stone into all sorts of industry 4.0 and reading all of their machine data and all of these things. So um, this is a little over-engineered, so it's meant to be a scalable product uh, that they can add to in the future. And that's meant to answer the ROI question. I think a third one that you didn't really hit on, but is um, maybe I've heard a few times among those in the pilot program as I've reached out to them is um, kind of the busyness of the space or difficulty deciding which which like new trinket or gadget is the right new trinket or gadget to go after um which of these you know somebody was saying they got some accelerometers from another pilot program and they just blinked them on all of their machines and then it didn't work out because the nearby machines were reading is on and then someone said they you know, get these, uh, they have another ignition system running on a parallel platform. And it just, you hear these sort of um, kind of confusion of the marketplace and misunderstanding of where to start. Again, we're trying to help by like making the list of what we offer short and making our MVP easy to understand, but it's still going to exist because they're still going to have other people talking to them, other vendors in their, uh, in their, um, trying to come in and sell them different things. And I mean, I often give this personal example, like I have a, on my iPhone, I have a folder of nine apps dedicated to smart home, right? <laughs> like my robot vacuum doesn't talk to my Christmas lights that turn on on their own. Like I get it. Like they're kind of overwhelmed. They don't want too many systems. They have all these subscriptions to all these different things. And if that happens to me, I imagine, you know, it happens to a lot of people in the business world as well. So that's like a personal side note, but I, you can see how it ties in. There's all these gadgets coming out and sometimes people feel overwhelmed by the choices um, and what's what's going to make the most sense for them in the future. But Ryan, do you have any others you want to add? Yeah, I I guess the the one that I, I would throw in the mix is um, while energy is a priority for everyone, 
you know, I think it's it's one of the fundamental costs that that every business operates against. Um, it often is not the priority. You know, so when you're thinking about like the top three to five things that, you know, resource constrained businesses, um, especially small and mid-sized businesses that don't necessarily have a dedicated team that's, you know, thinking about Industry 4.0 or thinking about uh, sustainability, um, they're, it may just not be prioritized. It, it doesn't mean that they don't care. It doesn't mean that they um, don't want to go down the path, but it's something that you can easily kind of kick the can on and um, or do a spot improvement, realize a bunch of savings, and then shift gears and go focus on whatever the issue of the day is. Um, so what I think is interesting about this program in particular and the way that they've structured it is it's a bit of a, you know, a, a Trojan horse. You know, the energy and energy savings obviously as a focus, but everything that they do is tying into production in some way. And so the data, the insights that you can get, you know, of course you're going to find ways to, to, to reduce your costs or be more efficient or, or just get better visibility. But you're very likely going to start to be able to use that data across functions and and see how does my production impact that or how does my, you know, how I had my people deployed impact that or is it a smart signal that's actually telling some telling me something about my process that I might not have realized. So I and this, I think, is is always been the case where data is concerned like everyone thinks you know everyone will say data is the new oil or you know data is you know you gotta you gotta have data to run your business or whatever but when it comes down to like making the roi case it's often very specific very focused you've got to justify against hard numbers and then you realize once you get into the initiative that oh you know, I'm getting savings from here and I'm learning something over here. And industry 4.0 in general, uh, in these technologies, smart manufacturing, whatever you want to call it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's allowing information to be shared across multiple functions and insights to be shared across multiple functions that then create a snowball effect of value. And I, I think that's probably one of the, the most unique things. And also one of the things that people should consider as they're looking at the prioritization list and saying, okay, you know, that's number five or 10 or whatever it might be. Well, especially with this program, it gives you the ability to move it up the stack and maybe not have to weigh, do I buy a new machine or do I implement this and, uh, and just get started? Makes sense. Dave, what are your thoughts? I have, uh, to, to quote you, Vlad, I, I have many thoughts and many questions. Uh, but before I get to those, I do want to throw out that uh, we as Manufacturing Hub are doing a live build this coming Monday, the 27th. So if you guys are watching this live or on replay, where we're building basically from scratch um, an energy monitoring solution, not all that different than what Energy Insights uh, has. Uh, and our goal is to focus less necessarily on the hardware or technology stack and more so on the, if we can go do it mostly live on the internet in about 90 minutes, 
there are very few reasons why people shouldn't be going through the process of doing energy monitoring yourselves. Uh, so we will go ahead and throw links down there and you guys can uh, follow along as uh, as we go build that. And you guys can go see more of that uh, in the uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, but no, and I guess kind of one thing that I just like to, to clarify, I don't know if we said this, Becca, the Energy Insights Program for the state of Indiana is 100% grant funded for the, the, at least for the first year, which means that if you're in the state of Indiana and qualify, I'm sure there's some sort of qualification process. We don't have to talk about that, but it is a $0 commitment for, for year one. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it's a $0 outlay commitment, but I guess that's what I was getting to my very, very beginning. Uh, there is some in-kind you know, expectation that the manufacturer would have to be engaged and help figure out the problems to solve and understand the equipment and the monitoring and the data points. Um, so there's some, I guess, time commitment or human resource commitment that I, I don't want to uh, say doesn't exist. But, and again, that's why it becomes a challenge that you know, we haven't really figured out how to fix that one until we can clone people, I guess. Um, but the uh, um, but the money should be covered by uh, the state of Indiana. So it's really nice um, for them to try something new um, and pilot something without that risk. Absolutely. I, I have not with the state of Indiana, but with other states worked through kind of matching grant funding. And it becomes easier to go do some of that project work with matching grant funding. Um, if we take away the, the pain that it takes to go to get that matching grant funding, and sometimes, I guess in my experience, it could be, you know, six months of going through the process uh, b- before b- before you, you come to the final outcome. So um, absolutely happy to well, happy to hear that. Excited to uh, to hear about what you guys are doing. I, I will say that when Arlen Nipper came on, and now's the time where we should hopefully timestamp Arlen's uh, podcast number, which I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it was 60-something, uh, where Arlen came on, and we had the conversation around um, episode 67, Arlen Nipper, where, where we had the conversation around what Link is doing. And I think he mentioned, I don't think that this was fully live, uh, but I know that they were working towards this. And so I, I think that it's very interesting to uh, to hear uh, where the, where this is going. I, I guess I, I know that this is kind of early. Um, have you guys had any kind of interesting use cases or success cases uh, around that with, with people kind of taking this and either saving money or leveraging this technology to go to the next level in their industry 4.0 uh, kind of roadmaps? Yeah, I mean, I'd say in general, it's bit it's a bit on the early side. I think most of the uh, initial use cases people have found have ended up not being right around energy, but rather okay. around preventative maintenance or predictive predictive of failure sort of uh, um, signals they found using the AI machine learning part of mm-hmm. the program, which is the, sort of the last piece in that long leg of the data pipeline where, you know, it's in a tool and then there's an AI ML consultancy that uh, helps people figure out what's going next. Um, and they found predictive maintenance uh, use cases. And um, and in some cases, they've been able to sort of, to some degree, understand their, their loads and understand their peaks better and make adjustments accordingly. So one really early case was a sort of startup sequencing where the peak load 
uh, was caused by all of the VFDs and the HVAC system being turned on at the same time. And this the peak is one of the main reasons why your electric bill is what it is. Usually, not in all yep. cases, I guess. So check your rates. Um, but the uh, the peak caused by all of the, all of the uh, HVAC units kicking on at the same time and not being sequenced in any way was causing the facility peak. And essentially the monthly peak was being driven by that. Sequencing was able to fix that. And for those out there who wonder if uh, peak loads are really a sustainability issue, um, to some degree they they aren't as good as energy efficiency. Um, You're not reducing your carbon footprint quite as much as when you actually don't consume the electricity. Um, but they are something from a sustainability perspective in that um, a utility's peak, uh, and if you're contributing to a utility's peak or the peak of the uh, overall uh, ISO, if you're in an ISO territory, is the, typically the dirtiest fuel. So that's when the peaker plant comes on that burns oil or what have you. So it's a little bit less than energy efficiency from a sustainability perspective, but it does do something to reduce peaks. And of course, for your bill, it's a biggie often. Uh, so that's why people pursue those use cases. Um, I don't know that we have a, a good energy efficiency use case. Those are a little more trial and error at this point. So seeing if you should replace a VFD or things of those, of that nature. So I don't, I can't spill any numbers or excellent uh, wins yet, <laughs> but I think they're around the corner and mm-hmm. a lot of these systems are just recently deployed. So people are just trying to get that. We really only did the pilots in the mm-hmm. falls and now we're just starting to get all of these. Uh, this like kind of first batch of people online and looking at their data and figuring out what to do with it. So um, it's, it's, I think that there'll be more use cases in a few months. <laughs> interesting. No, no, I think that, that that's very interesting. And then, then if I may kind of transition a similar question over to Ryan, I know Ryan, you, you've worked um, either what you're doing currently with Axiom or previous to this with the systems integrator in which you guys were doing a bunch of um, energy solutions are, are you finding energy as a good kind of first step into the door to go do other industry 4.0 or other transformational work uh, for those smaller to medium-sized companies? I'm, I think the, the answer is yes. Um, I think energy is, is one of those where it's, it's somewhat safe you, know, you aren't necessarily taking production down. You aren't making huge bets on uh, new equipment, putting in a robot where you you know got people reallocation or whatever. So I think it's you know in the same way that it, it may be you know third or fourth or fifth on the priority list. It also is not necessarily as disruptive. Um, I think there's it always kind of shocks me how many customers uh, aren't doing things like sequencing their startups mm-hmm. of equipment or you know idling their machines and going into a full shutdown or you know haven't changed their LEDs out or yeah just it you know a lot if you're a producer and especially over the last few years like you your resources have been focused either on coping with all the random changes that everyone's been coping with or um or you're you're trying to make stuff and uh, the the people in the plant that care about energy you know in the end are the facilities folks 
the finance folks. It's not something that you as a uh, a plant manager, an operator, whoever, you, know, you aren't looking at it on a constant basis, like you're looking at your quality numbers, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's there's a lot of gains that can be had that are fairly low hanging. Um, it's fairly non-invasive. Um, the the returns are are pretty. You know, they they justify the kind of technology footprint that you're walking in because it's not it's not a huge effort to to get results quickly and but most importantly is kind of what becca alluded to that the ability to sense and start to um have a different view into what your core business is which is making stuff and new ways to look at the information or overlay data that typically doesn't come together until it gets to you know the plant manager or the finance leader or whatever and um you're bringing parties together in the conversation that might not normally be in the conversation together or might be very focused on just their individual area so i i think it's a great starting point um yeah and in the end like maybe people my age you know this this isn't priority number one but for my kids you know who are thinking about this pretty seriously, it is priority number one. And I, I think it's important that, uh, you know, we, they're able to tell a story and they're able to talk to each other about what their parents are doing and what their parents are doing that's good for the environment and that happens to make business sense. So, so yeah, I think it's, uh, it is a good place to start. It has a lot of different tentacles. Um, the returns are can be pretty quick, and you're going to learn a lot about your business that you might not have realized. And I would say, you know, Ryan, on that last point, I think this is going to only become more and more important, right? For for many reasons, but I would say uh, a, a couple, I guess, or one major one that I see is that I think we're doing we're transitioning into EVs quite heavily. And I think on the industrial side, right, there's going to be a very important need to support a lot more uh, of the infrastructure. And I, I guess I'm curious on your perspective, maybe like some of the some of the drivers that will, um, I want to say like raise the price, I think, of electricity, but also require us to, quote unquote, do more with less, so to speak. And ultimately, I think these projects will... Um, as I said, become more and more important as we move forward because I think our resources are becoming more finite. So again, I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing like in the field, what is uh, sort of increasing maybe the, not the sell, but I guess the incentive to uh, jump into uh, these projects, uh, especially through a program that is free in the first year. I think there's been incentives available and you know the uh the the cost versus the benefit equation just hasn't hasn't quite you know hit that crossover point where all of a sudden it, it is becoming a priority i think mm -hmm. there you know as legislation evolves as as you know we collectively um have to make changes that that you know where that crossover point will continue to adjust um as as just awareness that this is a a place where you can 
get savings and and really make a an impact on your business period whether or not it has anything to do with sustainability um it, you know it, it's always been a bit of well like solar sounds cool but you know i'm so busy doing what i'm doing that it, it doesn't hit the priority level where i actually take action um it, but but again i you know I, I was looking at google the other day looking up you know, a restaurant or something trying to trying to find a meeting place and uh it, and it just dawned on me as i was because i was zooming over a fairly populated area um there's some industrial light industrial there's some warehouses there's some you know restaurants and other stuff and it just blew me away to look at that and think every one of the rooftops you know could be covered in solar every one of the rooftops could be um you know employing or or utilizing technology that would help reduce the footprint help reduce the cost and not one as i zoomed around on <laughs> was solar actually in the equation anywhere and and maybe that's a you know midwest i, I happen to be looking in at cleveland ohio shame on you cleveland businesses <laughs> but there was uh yeah i i just think that the opportunity is there uh and the the price point the entry point the the skill set uh it, all of those things are starting to triangulate towards the ability to actually take action and i think whether we're there yet whether the ev uh and electrification change is going to get us there or whether just all you know the the right pieces are falling into place at the right time um you know i i would say we are well past the point where people should be doing something I'll, I mean, I'll take a little different answer to that if you find out like the way other side, it's not that long ago, only three months ago, I was working at an electric utility. So I see these things also from the perspective of the utility and actually, you know, utilities are also try, trying, I don't want to oversell energy insights. So I have, I, I will, I will be really clear, like energy insights does not communicate with the utilities in which you are located at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you're right, Vlad, that's part of the vision, that's part of the future, that there's that interactive play where when all of the um, cars are charging in a certain neighborhood, and when you, as utilities get smarter as well, as well, at like reading their AMI, their, sorry, that's what we call the meters, the AMI meters, um, reading those and knowing when that's going to overload, as they get smarter at that and then sending the signal back um, to those manufacturers, there's so many efficiencies to be gained. Um, by like not needing to, what, we can electrify without upgrading our infrastructure, essentially. So I'm going to get off my utility bandwagon <laughs> for a little bit. There is a vision, there is a future, and that is, that, and, and that is, it is money, what you said if too. Like, can they pass on those costs? Can they pass on those incentives? And, and can they pass on those savings to customers in a way that incentivizes that manufacturer or person to act in the best interest of the utility? And so that's like the innovation of the utilities right now is not just in digitization and understanding that side, but in innovative pricing models that will start to be able to pass this on. It's called like non-wires, like don't build the wires, instead 
make something that is, it's, it's like a non-wires alternative. <laughs> so like a battery is a non-wires, but like you turning off your factory is also a non-wires and you could get paid for that. Or a demand response is similar, but some the words are all very weird there. Anyway, but a totally different tact. But yes, I agree. We can do it really efficiently. And it's about communicating with uh, utilities and them digitizing and innovative pricing models from utilities and then bringing that to the manufacturers in the future. Right now, Energy Insights does not have any um, direct communication with utilities. So I don't want to oversell that, but it's, it is a vision out there. <laughs> no, I, I'm certainly curious, you know, what's, uh, what's going to happen. I think Ryan mentioned like the crossover point and I, I think we're slowly trending there. Right. But uh, I certainly don't know what the timeline is before it becomes almost mandatory to again, like reduce your footprint, whether it is for cost uh, from a cost perspective or simply that there's just not enough uh, electrical supply and again it just becomes difficult to adopt. again i i'm certainly not an expert in uh, in utilities so i don't know what the growth of their uh how to say like energy is versus what we are consuming but i'm uh again on the manufacturing side seeing more and more of these uh types of projects uh, if i can uh ryan you made a, a very interesting point so you mentioned that you were surprised to see that there aren't more uh, projects you mentioned, you know, the sequencing start of machinery, and I, I'm certainly aware because I've seen a lot of, um, how to say, it, ambiguous designs. I want to say on the electrical side that would lend themselves to opportunity for cost savings. Uh, so my question is, do you see there being an opportunity for education in these programs? And I, I guess also how much education is required to maybe not just install the technology because I think the technology is certainly there. And we can we can talk a little bit more about the stack, but ultimately, what's the effort to educate an end user who has now access perhaps to data to actually implement, uh, you know, the projects? Because as we've discussed, they actually need to go and understand the data and then make the necessary changes. And ultimately, also you've mentioned Becca the AI slash machine learning component. So I'm curious, you know, how easy does it become to then say, hey, we need to do A, B, C. Uh, in order to maybe achieve a certain level of success. So maybe to rephrase that entire bundle of a, of a long question, uh, what does the education component uh, for these projects look like? Brian? I think this was, um, th this was a super interesting topic. And um, part of what attracted me to the Energy Insights program in the first place, um, so... FZ at the time uh, was a electrical contractor and a systems integrator. And it, it's always been my belief that um, it, you know, the, these technologies are becoming more and more ubiquitous and they're becoming uh, something that, you know, you, well, of course, you need special skills to be a true data scientist or to be a, a you know a true you know power uh, engineer a specialization for electrical but a lot of these technologies are are easily within reach and i think the education not not that we should be you know learning everything on youtube and then randomly trying stuff in you know high voltage environments <laughs> or whatever but um the ability to to utilize these technologies and the ability to affect change uh positive change in your operations 
it no longer requires the PhD, no longer requires someone who's deep into power systems, no longer, you know, you're always going to be more effective. But for us it, at, at the time at FC, part of what was so interesting about this was, you know, every time we roll a truck and, you know, there's electricians going out into the field, if this could have been in their toolkit, if if this was just standard, like, you know, their, you know, their regular meter, well, you know, if if they see an opportunity to bolt the system in and it just lights up and you can start to analyze information you know it puts the it puts the ability to affect change into the hands of so many more people um it's it's no longer just the skilled like you know super duper process engineer that you know, understands the Pi system and and how to get the data from all these different places. You 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 get the this information in the hands of everyone. And I think a lot of that education is out there in a lot of these new formats. Um, you know, I I didn't learn how to do solar and how to you know wire up my house in a way that allowed me to you know. Go go green, go renewable, go off grid. You know, all of that didn't come from the education I got at Purdue. That that actually just came from watching YouTube videos and and discovering things not only on on how to do it, but also how to do it efficiently. And and the lessons learned that others who had walked down this journey had had start to uncover. So I think it's that that democratization that community. Practice and that's that's also part of what's so exciting about this the Energy Insights program is they're they're working you know sometimes on a lot of different problems but it's it's education through the community and the ability to share best practices the ability to ask hey you know I'm seeing something over here yeah, does anyone else see this thing you know in the same way that I see it or you know just I didn't even think to go look over there. So I think there's, you know, formal education, but I think these these tool sets are becoming that much more approachable, and they're they're putting the ability into the hands of a lot of different people that might not have been part of the conversation, and creating intersections that, uh, you know, knowledge is going to continue to build just because of that. So, uh, but yeah, I would say. Education is critical, and education can come from a lot of different places. And don't overlook the fact that YouTube, you can learn a lot. Becca, what are your thoughts? So I'm kind of really aligned with Ryan here. Education is the key to success here, but also maybe one of the more difficult aspects of what's coming next. So the technology isn't you know new. It's not that we invented a new box. It's putting pieces together, trying to make them one product enough that they could be easily absorbed and by someone who maybe isn't an expert. Um, but yeah, we have to figure out how to upscale people appropriately, whether it makes them smart buyers or whether it makes them smart uh, users and develop, not developers, but developing insights from a product. Um, we have to make both of those paths available to people. Um, and we have to make it easy for them to follow those paths. Or we have to make the products kind of right size such that they can follow those paths. 
um, where they're at, essentially. So, yeah, I think education is going to be the key. Um, And I agree. And yes, basically, the next step will be creating these communities of practice. And probably there will be some insights about the shape of a load curve of a compressor of brand X among a community of practice a few times before the AIML has its insights about the shape of a load curve of a typical. And I, I don't think that they're not, that AIML is not capable of that. Of course it is if we could get all that data together. Um, but it, it's probably going to be a few human times that happens before we see it happening in the AIML side. Um, but yeah, the, ultimately the end of the story is how do we make a product that's easy enough that the education isn't too hard? How do we educate people to inter- interface and interact with that? And what can we give back to the machines to say, like, you guys can figure this out. It's boring to look at the shape curve and I don't want to do it anymore. Um, so uh, th- that will, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, we have a guess of what, <laughs> how that will look and we're trying to implement that, but it'll take, uh, I think some uh, piloting and, and continued iteration before we, nail that uh hit that nail on the head i think it's going to be really interesting right i think you've mentioned uh, a couple of i want to say like use cases but ultimately i think there's a lot of opportunities with that data from even like an oem standpoint right once they see that machinery being deployed how it's being used by the end user they can also optimize for different parameters of that machinery i, I think there's a lot of i want to say importance to that data and i'm certainly interested in seeing how it all plays out because I know our industry hasn't been necessarily the best at sort of making that a little bit open. Uh, but I certainly think that there's a way to build that ecosystem so that it's a win-win for everybody, so to speak. But I, I guess I don't have those answers either. I know that there's going to be, I, I think, a lot of changes in how we do things with Industry 4.0, but there's certainly a lot of uh, opportunity in that as well. Dave, what are your thoughts? I... Uh... I wish more people were talking about load curves. Uh, to, to Becca's last comment, uh, I think I think load curves. I wish more people were like aware of what they were and then monitoring uh, our, our usage and consumption in comparison to load curves because I've seen huge uh, energy and sustainability um, initiatives, millions of dollars, uh, millions of dollars a day in s- some large cases um, based upon a couple of percentages. So I, I wish more people uh, were, were cognizant of that. I do want to ask. Uh, what we are looking at perhaps on tipping points of people making the moves into putting solar on the top of their factories. But first, we have some people to thank. And so we want to thank Phoenix Contact for sponsoring uh, this theme and this episode. Uh, And today we want to talk about the All-Electric Society and how the All-Electric Society is revolutionizing how businesses operate by bringing the power of industrial automation to the world. Phoenix Contact is constantly innovating reliable and cost-effective products to streamline production processes and cost efficiency. Uh, With AES, businesses can take advantage of high-speed automated production lines and more efficient energy management systems, which can drastically reduce overhead costs and improve overall productivity. Our solutions also enable businesses to better meet customer demands and keep up with the competition. The All-Electric Society is transforming businesses and driving the future of automation. Open control platforms such as PLC Next Technology combine the two worlds of information technology IT and operational technology OT and promise a future of data-driven responsibility. 
PLC Next can access machine analytics remotely and securely, making your business more sustainable. Whether viewed remotely through the cloud dashboards or on-prem at the machine HMI, PLC Next can also help you find insights that can make your factory more eco-friendly and efficient. Unlock a sustainable future with data-driven insights. Harness your existing analytics to elevate your business and propel your plant into the future with secure, safe, and sustainable remote access and monitoring. Transform data into actionable insights and maximize your data for better decisions and eco-efficiency. Go ahead and check out uh, phoenixcontact.com and check out the All-Electric Society with that. If you're interested in this last episode, episode 103 with Dave Eifert, Dave had a fantastic example of how they used these very same uh, and in many cases German sounding names of things in order to drive uh, huge actionable results. So thanks again to Phoenix Contact for sponsoring uh, this theme. Having said that, I want to kind of back up a bit to to Ryan's comment about solar panels. I I think very early on, one one of the first times Ryan and I uh, were talking, I I think we were talking about living off the grid and RVing and all of these other things that if you've ever talked to me, you, you've probably heard me bring up uh, maybe maybe once or twice, at, at least in and amongst my travels. And then I saw Ryan was deploying a whole bunch of solar on the roof of your barn uh, last month or, or within the last month or thereabouts uh, with with some of your uh, with some of your kids on a on a cold, rainy day in Ohio, which is just winter and spring. Uh, so. I, I guess f- from my perspective, I think that solar is is very is a very interesting proposition, right? Like especially along both coasts, um, out in California on the West Coast and down in Florida, we see lots of people with solar on their roofs. Many times it was either mandated by new build regulations or it was basically super inexpensive or free uh, with with a variety of grants. Having said that, I think lots of that is we put solar onto roofs. We, we don't tie it into the house in any way. We just kind of, uh, for, for lack of a better phrase, dump it back on the grid in order to feed more power into, um, into the grid. Uh, and I have certainly seen in the last handful of years more and more manufacturing facilities kind of covering those roofs, to your point, Ryan, with, with solar panels and leveraging that uh, the electricity that they can go through the process and, and use and capture in order to uh, in order to drive results. I think I saw maybe 18 months ago so, some weird internet article about a, a startup backed by Bill Gates that was trying to use a whole bunch of solar and mirrors in order to uh, to melt some stuff, uh, to, to smelt some sort of uh, iron or, or steel. Um, I don't I haven't seen anything beyond the fact that allegedly Bill Gates uh, invested a bunch of money in that. So having Having given us that, uh, that that setup, Ryan Beck, I, I'd love your thoughts to hear. At some point, are we going to see more industrial organizations leverage more sustainable power opportunities, uh, solar, geothermal, uh, wind? Uh, and if so, when do you see that happening? Hey, Becky, you want to take a first shot for Especially, yeah. I think you have a perspective as a uh, from the utility side that maybe you are seeing more or you haven't seen more. Or... You know, I, I guess I think industry will adopt solar and other technologies purely um, when the economics make sense um, and the implementation and deployment doesn't involve 
more risk than they're willing to handle. So it's not just about the economics making sense. It's about the risk being low. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in a lot of places, it already makes sense. Uh, thanks to high energy prices, I guess the gas fell again and it's not quite as crazy as it was. Um, and the margin, the marginal fuel on most grid, on most grids and most ISOs is natural gas. So ultimately the price is driven is set by the fuel price of natural gas. Um, but the um, Inflation Reduction Act had a 30% brought back the 30% tax credit. I think that apply. I know that applies to individuals. I believe it applies to at least small businesses, maybe, maybe industrials as well. Um, so I think the economics are there. So it's just a matter of deploying it and getting it out there. I guess I, I would say that I, I think, um, I think the, I think the time is now and the economics are right right now. Obviously that has to build in that government incentive because otherwise we'd, unfortunately, you know, peak oil didn't happen in this, in the way that, you know, the carbon dioxide ratios in our atmosphere aren't really working out to uh, economic favor. So there had to be a little bit of a nudge outside of uh, what was happening naturally. But, um, and I don't just mean peak oil, of course, natural gas and all these other things, um, but coal and whatnot, they, they were just stayed cheap. Um, uh, so that nudge is happening. And I think the economics work now. So, I mean, I guess I, I, I don't know. I'm too optimistic. I'm like, why isn't everyone doing this? <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, so maybe I don't know my customers well enough yet. It's only been three months and I haven't tried to sell any of them on solar. So maybe Ryan has a better answer, but I think everyone should be doing it now. <laughs> Go for it, Ryan. I got a lot of it comes back to what Becca's said early and Vlad, your question around education, like there, there's so much noise in the system and so many things that you just have to focus on. And it's just foreign enough for a lot of people that they haven't, the economics haven't forced them to go to start the journey. And in a lot of ways, it's the same thing as you know, digital transformation, industry for whatever you want to call it. Um, it to me, it, it isn't a revolution. You know, you're not going to, you, well, maybe, maybe you're living a place where your utility bill is so high and, you know, you're going to just deploy this and it's a, you know, a miracle will happen and you'll no longer have any bills or whatever. I, um, I've yet to fully go off grid despite being on this journey for a while now. Uh, it is, I, I would say, it, like Becca said, at the time, just get started. Just take a step. You know, just, you know, just like go unscrew that light bulb that has been sitting in your shed or in your attic and replace it with, you know, LED. Like, it's really not that hard. And going digital, starting on this journey, um, starting to operate with better data and take a step forward and then take the next step and learn a little more and reach out to your community. But there isn't, I'm not sure there is going to be an inflection point where the economics are just going to be, you know, so wildly there that everyone just jumps in. I think it's a, a bit of an evolution. And, you know, you start. You learn, you do a little more, you learn. Um, but 
yeah, I would say just start. <laughs> just like you know, starting to uh, to operate with data in your plants. If you're if you're not utilizing these technologies, you know, you have to ask yourself why and and if i continue to operate in this way that maybe is completely manual doesn't utilize data doesn't provide insights you know in the end how long can you afford to operate that way when your competition you know your point about phoenix contact having solar and geothermal and like if that's what the competition's doing how much better how much more runtime how much uh you know more learning are they going to get you know and leapfrog or, or position themselves in a way that makes them that much more competitive so i don't think we can afford not to start i i think all all of those are, are good points uh, i will say ryan to the completely going off grid comment that you made completely going off grid is uh is really nice on youtube videos it is exceptionally overrated in practice uh, especially if you want to do things like uh, continue to work and be able to plug something into the wall and have power come out. Uh, the, the first time you plug something into the wall without power coming out is when you realize maybe you don't have enough solar or your generator isn't running enough or, uh, again, uh, could, could be just uh, slightly overrated uh, with slightly overrated uh, with that. I uh, again, thank you, everyone, uh, for uh, for the comments. we got some great comments uh, going on. I do want to I do want to kind of ask a question to Becca and then to Ryan as we are getting uh, as we're getting close to time is uh, basically there are so many different directions that that we could go on the energy and on the sustainability fronts. Uh, Becca, I guess, first in your opinion, and then Ryan in yours, what questions should we be asking uh, in these conversations uh, towards energy and, and towards sustainability? I'm going to ask a question to your question about which question to ask. No, I'll, I'll resist the urge to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, I'll, I'll right, how do we tie it all together, right? So how, how do we bring the – I think this gets a little bit back to what Ryan was saying. How do we bring all the right players into the room so that the finance person who's getting that utility bill could – check the box and say, yeah, this makes sense. And, you know, the person running the machines can be like, yes, I can agree with this. Actually, you know, the inverter will help our power quality in the the local facility. And, oh, yeah, I know I looked at, like, how it will impact, you know, the operations times. I guess, how do you get all of the people talking about this topic uh, in uh, communicating with one another so that it doesn't... um, it doesn't just fall by the wayside because I guess I was giving the, I was painting the optimistic picture of, you know, oh, the economics work, but I was like by sense, you know, by percentage, by like it breaks even. <laughs> yes, it works. So you have to, you still have to take the risk and you still have to get in the room and talk about it. So sometimes it breaks even, sometimes you win by sense, sometimes you win by more, but um, yeah, you have to get the, and, and then you ultimately like, how do we get people motivated um, to take action when it's, it's not a, it's not a big economic driver. Would be what I would ask. If I could, 
Uh, go ahead, Ryan. Go ahead. One of the questions I would ask, and this this is more to the the practitioners, you know, all the controls engineers and PLC coders, and you know, people who are preaching transformation. Um, you know, are you putting into practice this? Uh, I, you know, are the economics wildly successful? You know, I'm not sure, um, but have I learned? things on this journey? Yes. Um, does it feel good that the, this entire conversation, I'm running on solar, it's a, a cloudy day here in Ohio, it's the lights are still on, and it's not costing me anything to be having this conversation with you. Um, I, I, My question would be, have you started? Because before you can expect your customers before you can expect um, people who are awful busy doing, making the things that they make. But, you know, are you practiced in this area of data-driven sustainability so that you can bring that sense of familiarity, bring that sense of um, you know, risk avoidance, be able to explain that this isn't that hard and yeah, it's it's awful important to practice what you preach, and it, the more we educate each other, the the more likelihood that this is going to take hold and grow. No, th thank you both. I, I know I know I put both of you a, a bit on the spot, but I think both of those <laughs> I think both of those are, are really important questions to ask. We, we certainly painted and continue to paint a very positive picture. Uh, picture of energy sustainability and let's go monitor our energy and let's go take those results to use less energy, be it on startup or be it on peak demand or be it on power factor, uh, be, be it kind of on any of things. It, it was very, uh, it, it was very positive. And then I think that th these are all very good, realistic questions of how do we get the decision makers in the room and the people whom we need to actually do the work in the room and then to, to Ryan's point of if we're going to, to go talk and preach about this, are we practicing uh, what, what we preach? Vlad, what are what are your thoughts? Are, are you going to go fill the house with solar panels next week? I think, you know, I've certainly considered it. So I'm yeah. currently based in uh, Quebec, Canada. We have one of the lowest rates uh, for electricity. And so for me, we have not reached that breaking point yet. I think if I'm not mistaken, the last time I calculated the payback period here, it's roughly 30, 40 years. So it's a, it's a bit difficult for me to make that switch. Uh, but certainly if I was in California, I know it's a lot more common. So I, I think there it wouldn't uh, even be a question. So I, I think it, it definitely needs to be taken into consideration, right? You need to be working with your utility and certainly, you know, Becca, understands what it takes to understand your bill first of all and then see like what opportunities are available uh, but if i you know if i if i ask a question like on that side when it comes to manufacturers i'm curious about maybe the typical rollout or what you would normally recommend going into a facility and i, I think you know i i come with a, with a uh, how to say it, like with a place that i've seen some of these projects be a little bit more challenging where someone wants to monitor absolutely everything, right? And so they certainly get very excited about the ability to siphon out the data 
of every machine, every you know line, every single uh, MCC bucket, and so it very quickly becomes overwhelming, both from a cost perspective, but I want to say from like a technology perspective as well. So I- I'm curious to understand if you know the first step might be to monitor, let's say, your grid um, inlet, and maybe you monitor different departments. Then you know, like I- I'm curious about the steps. Uh, that you would guide a normal manufacturer through so that they don't get overwhelmed with the possibility? Because I I certainly think uh, you can go down the path of, hey, here's a three-year-long project where we're going to pull in all the data possible. And like I said, it's just going to be maybe too difficult uh, for them. Yeah, we we do hear that a lot. I think people want to see all the data. I'm kind of that personality type, so it can be hard to stick to a pilot or try something new. Like I want to see it all um, uh, overbuild before I've really tried it out sometimes. But um, so I think the the main feed is one thing we recommend. The biggest draws of power is another area we recommend. And then, um, or if there's repeatable lines and you have that personality type where you want to see the whole thing, uh, you can Mm do one or one of your repeatable like units. Oh, so you can whatever. benchmark one against the other, right? Or, or well, one against I guess I'm saying pilot with one, so you can see the whole thing. Okay. Uh, that's it. But you're right. If you're doing, if you're trying to benchmark across, I guess you could do all of one type of machine as well. I mean, it does depend on what your your goals are, and um, and ours are not. We don't always have the like, what would solar do for you? Question come to us. Mostly, it's around energy efficiency and peak demand charge savings. Um, but they are, uh, but the yeah the getting the multiple of the same would be really helpful for energy efficiency the multiple of the same machine would be helpful for energy efficiency um for sure and then sort of one of a single line would be more helpful for demand charge uh mitigation or 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 if, if we haven't used this application but a great one would be like what, what would solid review but yeah the main feed is is also one of the main ones we get, suggest that people get so they can start to understand their demand charge because honestly a lot of times it's just a matter of uh, knowing that it's happening, that your peak is happening, and then walking around and seeing what's working and what's on and what's not. And is someone doing something crazy that they could do at like, you know, 8 a.m. instead of 2 p.m. on the hottest day of July, for example, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes that's all. Um, uh, uh, the main feed is important for just understanding things, even though there may, even though you may not be able to incrementally say like, "Ooh, that's that machine and it's on and it's producing this part and it knows and it's this material and it's." You might not have all of the data. The main feed can help you get the big picture of what's going on. So that, that's what we mostly recommend. But we do it's customer driven. We let them decide what they want to study, and um, they um, they could pick whichever they want. So that's that's. I, I would say that yeah it, when we think about like the energy insights program that this it's not um this isn't a you know 12-month implementation or a, a three-month implementation the this is intended to be a system that you drop in you turn on you know and you're getting data um within a week like so it can be more or less complex, you know, if you can't get into, you know, put your meters in or whatever, but it, all going right, you, you 
register, you, you know, go through the intake process. There's, there's some conversations. You make sure you're ready. And, you know, that happens and you're starting to get insights within a very short period of time. And from those and the, as you said, the, you know, coming in with your main feed, coming in on some key pay points within your operations, you then can make a decision on where to take it next. So it, it, I just thought it was important to, yeah, this isn't a spec writing process and putting it out to RFP and like, you're going to see value pretty quickly. Absolutely. And I think that that we need more solutions like that. And anyone who has listened to me get on my soapbox about that would know that, that that is my belief is that we need more solutions of you, uh, you, you plug it in and within a week or a handful of weeks, you, you are seeing uh, value and immediate actions with that. Uh, no, this has been fantastic. And I put back on the, uh, on the hot seat last time. So I'm gonna put Ryan on the hot seat this time, Ryan, you know, that, that I always like to have fun and ask people to predict the future. Right. So, and I feel like we've talked about a bunch of different things. I feel like we've talked about energy. We've talked about solar. We've talked about somehow getting all of these disparate groups together to, uh, to finally agree upon something, which is more of like a minor miracle um, than, than easily actionable uh, opportunities. So having said that, what, what do you think that the future is going to, uh, is going to hold with, with these energy and other programs? I, I think it, you, we're just going to see more and more of this happening. I think it's, in a way, it's a little like what's unfolded within people's homes. You know, 10 years ago, you might have had a smart light switch. You might have, you know, if you're a little bit of a geek like I am, you probably had a little more. But now, all of a sudden, you've got Alexa, you've got, you know, Google, you've got, you know, 27 different intelligent devices you know if you go in and actually look at all your connections to the internet it's a bit scary to see what's what's all connecting um and i think that that is just going to continue to unfold and it's more i think it's important to not not enter into this as if our, it's a decision even you know are you going to go this way or aren't you going to go this way it's a question of are how assume success assume that this change is happening and it's going to continue to happen and so it's really a matter of how do you plan for it how do you uh, build that into your your budgeting cycles etc and and how do you start on that journey and and start walking down that path because again if you aren't someone else is and very likely I, Somewhere I heard, you know, if, if you aren't embarking on this journey, this digital journey, um, you know, the sign over the door that says your company's name is likely to be some other company within a matter of a couple of years because someone else is going to be able to acquire or put you out of business or whatever else. So I would say um, there it is a connected future. It, it's a sustainable future this isn't you know there is no turning back um and start to get ready and start to lay your plans and assume success and assume that you you need to learn and you probably already have much more 
in place than you realize or knowledge within your teams than you realize and just get going and take advantage of state programs, take advantage of all the learning uh, opportunities out there so that you you can start on this journey in a way that is uh, lowest risk. Absolutely. I, I think that that is that is a fantastic uh, prediction um, and, and a very hopeful one. And I hope we absolutely get there. Uh, Becca, what are your thoughts on what the future looks like? I, I feel like I should have asked you this question because uh, Ryan uh, Ryan didn't give you uh, lots of room to uh, to make predictions here. But but what 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 are your predictions? Are they are they similar to Ryan? Are they something different? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess I would say that I'm sort of like the short term of like a platform like Energy Insights. Let's be really narrow and specific now for a minute, instead of like the utility business model or something along those lines. I think there will be fewer platforms. There will be consolidation in that market. There has to be a red sea at some point and down to a couple options. I think there'll be more sensors, more data input sources, and ultimately more uh, applications that can uh, analyze and optimize. I think it's going to be a while before there's like master optimization of all of the things happening at all of times in all the places. Um, but like Ryan said, I think that is the future. Ultimately, the, the everything is everything everywhere, all times sort of optimization is harder than it looks, but it's uh, it is the future. So um, that I, but yeah, I think it, it will um, be, become more out of the box and be more consolidated as time goes on. Absolutely. No, no. Th- thank you. Uh, th- thank you very much uh, for that. I-, I think that in the very short term, we're going to see lots of consolidation on these platforms and, and everything else in the next, I don't know, 24 to 36 months. I think we will see especially a lot of venture back startups uh, fade away uh, if they don't have a bunch of, of good adoption. And it will be interesting and, and hopefully it will be a boon because it gives fewer options. And sometimes I have found the hardest part about working with manufacturers as end users is there are too many options. And when there are too many options, you get analysis paralysis because I could do it a thousand different ways. How, uh, how should I go ahead and do that? So, so thank you for that. Uh, Coming back to you, Becca, uh, I told you before that that we always ask for for book or content recommendations. And and I made the joke to you that that initially started asking for, for, uh, not sponsored audible recommendations for, for Vlad. And it is just kind of spun out from uh, spun out from there. So you said that you have a book recommendation for us. Yeah. So what do you I have? Mean, for us you about? probably have heard this 8 million times because I'm too busy to read long books and I have like eight half read, read, read <laughs> business books on my shelf, but the who moved my cheese. Cause it's like this thick <laughs> is, was a, uh, is a good one for people who like me don't always get through the heavy hefty, uh, business books um, before they, you know, switch to the um, Planet Money podcast or what have you. So I, uh, I, uh, I, I liked it. It was short, and it tells you like keep moving, stay on your toes, never, never, qu- never stop innovating. No, th- th- that is awesome. Thank you. So who, who moved my cheese? Uh, Ryan, uh, you said that you would have some uh, some content recommendations for us. Now, you could either give us that that list of like 50 uh, YouTube solar uh, groups that you watch or more realistically, probably like three, because uh, for as many as uh, solar uh, people out there on YouTube, there aren't very many people that actually I, I have found are, are very good at it. Or, or you could provide us with... Uh, with another content recommendation, but uh, the, the floor is yours. What do you have for us today? 
Uh, I would say there there are some just amazing resources online, and uh, you know, I I found in my own journey. There's a guy, uh, Will Prouse, um, MobileSolarPower.com. I think is his. Uh, yeah, it, it was mostly focused on RVs, mm-hmm. but then now has moved into just general application of solar. Um, and then on the industrial side, I, I guess I'll give a plug for uh, my friends over at Sesme, uh, the C-E-S-M-I-I dot O-R-G. Uh, there, it's one of the Manufacturing USA institutions um, or institutes that is trying to democratize access to a lot of these technologies, whether it's for renewable purpose, whether it's for uh, smart manufacturing purpose. And I think there's a lot of sharing mechanisms and um, awareness material that is available that can help people get going on their journey. So, Absolutely. I would say both of those are fantastic. And we will do some work or have some folks from Sesame on at, uh, at some point later this year. Uh, we, we are in the works uh, for, <clears throat> for, for making that happen. So, so thank you very much uh, for that plug, Ryan. I know that you do some, some good work with that group, and I know they do some good work in general. Uh, the, the next area that, that I like to talk about is, is career advice, right? And I think both Becca, you, and, and Ryan have some very kind of interesting career paths to, to bring you to, uh, to to where you both are. Uh, maybe starting with, with you, Becca, if you will. Uh, if if you're talking to uh, if you're talking to someone who maybe wants to get into industrial. Um, and they are kind of early to to middle career. I, I know. You, I think you said you started out in aerospace and NASA, and went to work with the utility, and are now now here uh, as the managing director of the Energy Insights Program. Uh, what would your what would your suggestion uh, for, for people who want to get into uh, into the industrial uh, uh, area for a career be? Right. Um, so I guess in general, I'd say just. You know, people are willing to accept that your skills are transferable for the most part um, and finding the people that are willing to understand that if you're switching careers is really important. But it also ultimately means that you've probably found a um, a good boss or a good company or a good uh, group to work with. Uh, so uh, just learning and if you're switching sort of totally switching career paths, just sort of itemizing for yourself what are your what of your skills are transferable and, and then finding someone who's willing to accept it and don't worry about the people who aren't willing to accept it um who think that if you could like calculate an orbital orbital path you'll never figure out you know the difference between like greenhouse gas emissions because i had a lot of those too and they're like well, you don't that feels very specific gas emissions you're like i can figure it out but and trust that there will be people who trust that you can figure it out and uh they're probably the best people to end up with anyway. So um, yeah, just the skills are transferable if you want to switch. I, I think that the transferable skill set is is a very good uh, is a very good comment and finding people 
willing to understand that uh, skill sets transfer is also very good. I feel like that the whole orbital calculations versus greenhouse gas calculations is a very specific point to uh, to someone no, who, is almost, <laughs> yeah, who, who is almost <laughs> certainly not watching this show right now. They're not watching this show. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. they're they absolutely not watching this, this show right now. But no, um, th- awesome. That, that is amazing. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, what, what are your thoughts for some career advice for people uh, early kind of mid-career looking to uh, get in or maybe upskill uh, their industrial uh, manufacturing experience? I think, like Becca said, the barriers to entry are are low or lower. Um, There's a lot of, there's so much that's transferable. And uh, the the industrial space is, is, is cool. And there's you know, the ability to work on projects, work on different technologies, work, have an impact. Um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, there's there's a, a huge need for improvement in so many different areas. And the opportunity to make a difference is so high. Um, mm-hmm. As far as where you start, I think this this time that we are living in right now is the the tools are so much more accessible and you know if i were starting on this journey today you know being an electrician being a mechanic um being an engineer like it doesn't really matter um because you're you know i i was talking to someone who yeah, they they are uh, they their practice was they studied history and now they're uh, you know I, I won't name names but they're coordinating the AWS initiative for you know, smart manufacturing it, you know it's like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's interesting if it's exciting you can find a path and I I would just say that this is a cool place to be and you can really make an impact in manufacturing and come on in. Absolutely. I think both of those are exceptional points. And then back to kind of an earlier point that we had made, if you guys are listening on the career side, there's a bunch of really great content free and inexpensive on YouTube on a bunch of different training platforms, such as Solus PLC, Vlad wave to everyone uh, as, as I plug Solus PLC uh, once again on this episode. Um, but no, there, there are a bunch of great training platforms out there. Um, and if you have the ability and willingness to learn and show that you want to learn and have the aptitude to do it, especially online self-taught material, your ability to learn virtually anything is, is nearly limitless. Uh, with that. So, so that the, those are all absolutely fantastic. And then the last question uh, for you guys is, is who should reach out kind of, how can our listeners help you? And, and Becca, if we can go, uh, if we can go back to you uh, to, uh, to lead us off uh, one more time, uh, kind of in, in open floor for, for you, how can our listeners uh, help, help you in the initiatives and everything that you are looking to do? Great. Thanks, Dave. Um, so I know I, always we're looking for partners who are sort of partners in crime as we develop and roll out this pilot and we grow this product and we grow this um, 
this tool. And so in, in the end of the day, it's the customers that really mm-hmm. matter. So I, I don't know how many customers may be listening now, but um, if you're willing to take that journey with us and you are an Indiana company manufacturer in particular, um, small to medium manufacturer in particular, uh, that, that would be great. We, we want enthusiastic people who want to take this journey and uh, help us develop but also help you um in the end so we can make a better product and then for those the rest of uh the ecosystem we're open to learning from others we want to we want to be collaborative we want to be um uh we want to be working together with others but we also want to be uh finding synergies where they they exist or not duplicating efforts where someone else is doing the same thing. So if you think you're working on a similar problem and it sounds like a lot of people are in the space of productizing <laughs> these, these things, uh, definitely reach out and we, we'd love to chat more about, um, how we can work together and, um, make, uh, better, better solutions for the customers. Fantastic. No, I, I appreciate that. Becca. I do know that we've got a number of people who listen in the state of Indiana. So if you guys are in Indiana, uh, please go ahead and reach out. We will absolutely have Becca's contact information uh, in, in the show notes, as well as if you guys are watching online, you should be able to get that. Ryan, same question to you. How can our listeners uh, help you? Hey, I echo Becca's comments. Um, the, if the end customer getting them involved in the conversation and getting them to start the journey there there's an overwhelming uh noise in the echo chamber of you know the the product companies the solution providers um but i have far too few conversations with end customers and and i've really you know in the end of course i i'm in the business of feeding my family and uh it, it does matter to get paid, but um, there, if if I can help in that journey, whether in a formal fashion or an informal fashion, just reach out. And whether I, it's me, whether I can connect you with someone, like let's let's have the dialogue as opposed to being, you know, worried or being overwhelmed or being afraid that you're going to get sold something like. I care about this this particular topic deeply, and mm-hmm. I'm quite willing to help, and especially if you're an end customer. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. I think that's fantastic. And I just kind of want to echo your sentiments, Ryan. I feel like we as maybe practitioners, but certainly as technologists and folks who are super passionate about this, right, like many times it can just be like in, in internet echo chamber sometimes we're, we're, we're talking we're designing all of these amazing things and and becca's got nine different apps for all of her smart connectivity things and she's like hey wouldn't it be great if we could put a 10th app to control all of these nine apps and it'll work 85 percent of the time and then 15 percent of the time i'll have to go remember what's the correct end at like like lots of times as technologists and practitioners we, we are kind of an echo chamber and sometimes i'm not saying anyone in this conversation but sometimes people forget that the the groups that we are trying to help at the end of the day 
are mostly out there struggling to keep the line going to, to, to fill cases of whatever they're making or pallets of whatever they're making so that they can keep the lights on and also feed their families. And, and anytime that we get the opportunity to actually make an end process better is, is always exceptionally important. But, uh, but no, th- this has been amazing. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, everyone, for, for coming to hang out and listen. I will say if you have made it this far, please go and hit the like button. Please subscribe to Solus PLC. Please follow myself, Manufacturing Hub, Ryan and Becca and Vlad. Uh, we should have all of the contact informations together. Um, and if, especially if you guys are in manufacturing in the state of Indiana, I, I want to throw out uh, the, the very interesting program that, that Becca is doing. Very infrequently do we get people to come on that the net cash output of year one is is zero, right? I feel like it's a very enticing uh I feel like it's a very enticing proposition. And then if you guys are listening on podcast format, uh, please go ahead and hit the follow button. Please write us five stars on all of those platforms. Again, I have found that if I remember to ask people, more people do those things and all of our numbers continue to uh, to go up, especially on the podcast side. But again, uh, thank you everyone for, for coming to uh, spend time with us. It has been super fun. We will continue the data-driven sustainability conversation uh, next Wednesday, the 29th. But if you're listening now, Come catch us live doing our live energy monitoring build Monday, the 27th. Uh, Until next time, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you, Becky.